I was 13 years old Uh and my mother let me take my other five siblings to Rockefeller Center from the Bronx, um, you know. And you were the you were the oldest one in that crew. The oldest. (sighs) Right. So two subways and a bus without ice skates around our neck. What on earth? Today, you can't ask a 13 year old to stay in the house for an hour while you go to the store. No, no. A 13 year old can't keep a smartphone charged for a day, (laughs) let alone lead five children through New York City. Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer folks take a pedestrian milestone and milk it dry. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. What's this uh, milestone I'm talking about? Oh, no big deal. This is You Made Me Queer's 50th episode and when I say take a pedestrian milestone, I'm not being, you know, uh, diminutive of my own personal accomplishments or stature. I just mean, you know, in the podcast landscape, which is uh, densely populated last time I checked. Did you know if you didn't start a podcast, the person next to you has started a podcast? That's how the stats basically break down. So take a look around you. And if you're not a podcast maker, maybe you can become an influencer on the show of the the woman next to you who gets on a Yeti mic every day at 5 p.m. and talks about that little film that forms on top of soup when you microwave it. Everyone's got a podcast is my point. I also have a podcast. Spoiler, uh, you're listening to it. Maybe it's your first time, maybe it's not. But now I have 50, 50 episodes of You Made Me Queer. Every episode is about an hour, some are longer, which means should you so choose in your own adventure, you can listen to the dry death rattle that is my voice for more than two days. Two days. Can you imagine that? Can Me thinking about listening to my own voice for two days is infuriating. Uh, it makes me feel confused and angry hungry for the wrong reasons, Uh, but if you want to do it, you can, is my point. But more importantly, I've gotten to talk to so many incredible people about uh, the gay agenda, the the manipulative and aggressive gay agenda, and what a thrill it has been. Can you believe it? We started, we, (laughs) you didn't do a damn thing. You sat there, you punk, uh, and enjoyed the show for free. Well, I, over a year ago, it was March of 2021, when I lifted my frail little fingers to a microphone and a laptop and tried to figure out what the hell it was that I was doing. And now here we are, we stand on this mountain that we have built together and we look down from the mountain and we see our queer monster friends. Who do we see? We see sweet Trana Winter of CBC's Chosen Family and Quebec's celebrity Big Brother and so many other things. We see Scott Thompson and Paul Bellini from Kids in the Hall. We see Heather Matarazzo from Welcome to the Dollhouse. We see sweet little Jay Magis. He's not little. I just, I use that term affectionately. He's also short, but it's fine. From Broadway's Moulin Rouge. Uh, sweet Colin Asuncion from Great Canadian Baking Show, a, a true classic. So many people, Sukian Lee, of course, from Short Bus, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mark Tewksbury, Olympic gold medalist. I mean, listen, listen, we see a lot of important people and I use important loosely. It's again, it's fine. Why are you getting so angry? We see our queer friends is the point. So let's now, uh, let's hold on tight and listen to some select moments from the past 50 episodes. Sean, cue montage. 
I'm just kidding. Could you imagine? Why would we do that? You can go back and listen. That's what I'd encourage, actually. If you are new to the show or you're recently new to the show, there is a ton of gold from the first two seasons. And you know what? Even if you don't know someone's name, I chose these people because they're sweet miracles on ice, on the water, on all the elements, really. Uh, so go back. Please listen to all these episodes and discover these incredible, hilarious queer people uh, who are so angry and so judicial in a way that I find exhilarating. It has been really a wild ride, uh, sometimes incredibly delightful, sometimes exhausting and delightful, always delightful. But here we are, 50 episodes in. So thanks for being on this ride with me. Obviously, I could not do this without any of you listening to this beautiful disaster that we call You Made Me Queer. Anyway, uh, it's a sparkly road, and I celebrate that with all of you because it's a lot of work to put this together, and I do it because it's a joy, and I do it because I feel obliged to at this point. Uh, if I were to stop, it would seem like a statement, potentially that I was homophobic, and there's a lot of things I'm willing to take on, but <laughs> a homophobic reputation is not one for now, for now. See how I feel tomorrow when, uh, you know, I haven't had protein in a while. But anyway, we have a good one for you today. A real good one. Someone with a great laugh. You know when you hear someone with a great laugh that you just want to join in on? That's today's guest. That's today's guest. And before I announce that guest name, I do want to call myself out uh, because this guest mentioned a legend named Mary McLeod Bethune. And I said, who's that in this episode? And, uh, you know, I wish that I had known. And maybe you don't know who that is, and you wish that you could know. So what have I done? This is the second installment of, of uh, Queer Heroes segment. If you remember the first, she's, <laughs> this person is not queer. Uh, the first segment of this series was Mr. Peanut, if you remember from, I don't know, maybe 30 episodes ago. The, the requirements to be on Queer Heroes a sub-segment of You Made Me Queer, is not that you have to be queer. It's a very curated list that I choose. The first one was Mr. Peanut. The second one is Mary McLeod Bethune. So do a deep dive about Mary McLeod Bethune. I'm not going to, you know, overstay my welcome here on my own damn show, but I will tell you five important things about Mary McLeod Bethune. First of all, this is not one of the five things. American educator, philanthropist, humanitarian, womanist, and civil rights activist. Citation, Wikipedia. First thing about Mary McLeod Bethune. I'm going to add one in. She's not Mr. Peanut or related to Mr. Peanut. First real thing. Founded the National Council of Negro Women in 1935. So straight up legend. Thing number two. Appointed as a national advisor to Franklin D. Roosevelt, whom she worked with to create the Federal Council on Colored Affairs, also known as the Black Cabinet. Evidence number two that she was an absolute boss. Thing number three, started a private school for African-American students in Daytona Beach, Florida, which would become Bethune-Cookman University. The only thing I started in Daytona Beach, Florida was a shrimp appetizer at Bubba Gump's, and I don't think I finished it because that it was not good. It's like red, it's like red lobster. If you can't find a red lobster, you go there. How many shrimp had to die so I could have a, a five out of 10 star meal for $10? When I was in college, I couldn't afford that shit. Thing number four, Bethune was the sole African-American woman officially a part of the U.S. delegation that created the United Nations Charter. How, how had I not heard this person's name? And if you also were hearing this for the first time, why are we not being taught about folks like this. Thing number five, Mary McLeod Bethune was known by the black press as the, quote, female Booker T. Washington, end quote. Booker T. Washington, also, you know, nothing to sneeze at, but Mary McLeod Bethune doing it while running a freaking university in Daytona Beach of all places. Just mini golf everywhere, but she was keeping focused. She was not golfing. She was becoming a legend. So anyway, I encourage you and me to learn more about Mary McLeod Bethune. Funnily enough, Mary is not my guest today. She's not my guest. Uh, she was mentioned by my guest. So let's jump over to my guest on my 50th episode of You Made Me Queer. Can you believe it? Here we are, half of a century of episodes. That's not how centuries work. My guest today is Karen Williams. Do you know Karen? Karen is a gem. 
Karen is a gem. The moment I met Karen, I started laughing. She was making fun of some jam. We were at breakfast together. I'd seen her set the night before. Karen comes in just full, full force, even at a continental breakfast, full force. And we were given some jam. Karen was not having it. Karen went to town on this jam. We'll talk about it in this episode. You're going to love it because she's funny. She's sweet. She's incredibly smart. She is eloquent. She is silly. And she laughs like no one's business. So let's dive into Karen's bio, shall we? Karen, my 50th guest. Karen Williams, all caps, written in her bio in all caps because she came here to win, is the first openly lesbian black comic in the United States to include specifically lesbian material in her act. That's quite a coup. That's quite a move over Wanda Sykes is what I'll say to that. Since then, she's had a prolific career in comedy. She's released, quote, I Need a Snack, end quote, a one-hour comedy special that's regularly aired on Logo TV. I Need a Snack is all I need in a title and all I need in a personal life ethos and mantra. I'm considering stopping recording right now to eat a snack. But I'm going to stay here because it's my 50th episode. Karen is featured in Laughing Matters, an award-winning film about four lesbian comic pioneers. Karen Williams is one of them. Kate Clinton, Marga Gomez, and Suzanne Westenhofer are the four lesbians mentioned there. And Karen is part of We're Funny That Way, not the festival, an internationally acclaimed film that put her into the world comedy scene. Not only is she funny as hell, but Karen is a smarty pants. She's currently en route to get a PhD, which we talk about too. PhD, could you imagine? Imagine the number of books you have to read and understand. Karen is also the founder and CEO of the International Institute of Humor and Healing Arts, short form, HaHa. They call it HaHa, H-A-H-A. How good is that? Which offers live and virtual educational programs, workshops, and seminars on the healing powers of humor, spelled without a U, because she's American, folks. Uh, She does all these things. She's a humor academic. Can I say that about you, Karen? She's great. She's good company. She's the perfect guest for 50th episode. So that's really quite enough for me. Let's get into this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy that you're still here. If you came here by accident, the podcast doors are locked. Uh, Your apps are frozen. You can't get out. So just breathe into it. Please enjoy my conversation with the hilarious, the white lady jam calling out Karen Williams. Uh, So you were talking to me about pickleball. Yes, it's a court right across the street. And I wake up to to them and they stay out there until, you know, like little kids until they can't see anymore. So it's (laughs) fun. (laughs) Have you ever played? Oh, yeah, I play. But I'm now dealing with possible torn rotator cuff stuff. I just came from the doctor this morning. Oh, no. They'll need to do an MRI or whatever. And it's it's painful to hear the ping. Right, because they're just torture. You're you're taking a hiatus from your athletic career. Right, right. What and pickleball? Okay, because then f- the first time someone said pickleball, I assumed there was a pickle involved. As with yeah, I did so many too. good things. There's too. no pickle. There's no pickle. I have no idea why it's called pickleball. Missed opportunity. It's. Uh, I think it's an older adult version of tennis. Okay. And uh, some of these older adults take it very seriously. The guys are like. <sighs> You know, like, yeah. like they're slamming and it's just the tiniest little yellow ball filled with holes, like what we used to call wiffle balls. Yeah, yeah. We called it a wiffle ball, too. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it looks like a wiffle ball. Exclusively for young children but and pickleball enthusiasts. I actually I have a friend whose parents are so into pickleball, they go on trips for tournaments. Oh, yeah. That's a big thing. It's like the hottest thing in the States is this pickleball because you know we're all boomers and boomers will never die and so they're going <laughs> to reinvent right. everything there'll That's be another right. version of pickleball it'll just be i don't know we'll play with dime-sized things <laughs> on, or else big things like a watermelon and just yeah. bat it over and then. <laughs> i think it's gonna go bigger and we're gonna have to pick different names of different like preserved like what are other things you can buy in a jar sauerkraut ball <laughs> You know, jam ball. That one sounds messy. Yeah, I know. I know. 
<laughs> Our friend said she left the white lady jam there. She did not take it. <laughs> oh, it didn't? Okay, now we need, for folks who were not with us, we have a bit of an inside experience where Karen and I shared a lovely breakfast together, and the server offered, came up unannounced and said, I have a gift, and gifted us with a small jar of unlabeled jam. That's <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, what basement laboratory is that from? That's right. <laughs> and we smiled. All of us are extremely polite. That's what people yeah. don't realize about comics and actors and all that. We're so gracious. Mm-hmm. And then when we left, there were probably eight, you know, little jars of uh, <laughs> jam left there. <laughs> you smile and, and you're gracious because it's all going in the act. So you're that's like, right, I need to pay right. attention to this moment. I will tell you because, Karen, I am cheap as hell. And if you give me something for free, yes. I'm taking it. So I have that jam in my fridge. Oh, you do? Yeah. Have you eaten it yet? No. <laughs> no. Right. You're frightened. I know. I'm, You're just you know. a little scared. Like, <laughs> what is her kitchen like? Yeah. Uh, did it have critters? I mean, you know, you just don't know about people's kitchen. You don't know. And I mean, jam is pretty, like, hermetically sealed in there. So ostensibly pretty safe. But who knows? Yeah, that's right. You just this don't was, know. But just please... Yeah. What you need to do is do it on your podcast live so that people can track. If you suddenly slump over, somebody can call 911. Right. The moment when it happened. I mean, listen, folks, if you didn't find me boring already, wait till the episode when I just eat jam. (laughs) (laughs) New lows. (laughs) It gets worse. Yeah, but it looks cute. It's maybe strawberry, raspberry. I mean, you know. Right. Sounds like the kind of treat you'd have after a rousing game of pickleball. Oh, gosh. Yes. Bless. I get that. I won't keep bringing it up because I know you're out of the game. (laughs) It's cool. But you are, you're in Euclid, which is near, is that like a suburb of Cleveland? No, I, my home is in Euclid. Okay. uh, Four and a half hours, uh, what is it now, northeast of where I am. I'm down in what's called Oxford, Ohio, at Miami University, where I'm working on a doctorate. Oh, no big deal. In social gerontology. And um, just came about because of COVID, really. I did my last live comedy gig on February 29th, 2020. Hmm. And then I found out like a week or so later that I was accepted into Miami University. I had this huge house concert tour and all this other stuff and it went away. And, you know, why not use your spare time to get a doctorate? (laughs) I mean, listen, some people pick up needlepoint. Karen picks up a damn PhD. So I'm now in year three or four. And this okay. is when it gets really hard because it's all the writing and all that yes. dissertation stuff. Do you now do you fight the urge to write jokes into your dissertation? No, but sometimes when I wrote papers in the uh, during the coursework, I did include some fun stuff. Right. From time to time. Just... As a footnote, yeah, it's not always appropriate, but... No, it's not. These scholars are very, academic scholars are very serious people, you know. Boo. So. But I hope when you defend your thesis, you get at least, you can do like a tight five off the top. Probably. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they're, they're aching to see me anyway. You know? I mean, come on. Yeah, charge them for yeah. it too. Don't give that yeah. away for free. <laughs> come on. So that's good. So I like Ohio. As I told you, I spent part of my childhood growing up in Ohio. Oh, where? What part? Well, I from a very small coal town called Steubenville. Oh, okay. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I have no idea where it is. Well, it's uh, in the tri-state, and it has one of the largest Catholic universities in the United States. Wow. Which is why we were there, and which is why I'm broken. <laughs> oh, I see. So <laughs> Just kidding, your, your parents worked there or something? They did. They worked there. They oh. studied there. They Catholicized there. Wow. As so many people do. You know, it's fine. Right. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, well, the downtown, you remember Wu-Tang Clan? Yes. Yeah, some of the members of Wu-Tang Clan are from Steubenville. So it's, it's, that's, those are the two poles. Catholic University, Wu-Tang Clan. Oh my God, and hip-hop. Yeah, and then me right in the middle. (laughs) Right, that's hilarious. I mean, yeah. And so now you're in Canada, right? 
Now I'm in beautiful Toronto. Have you been to Toronto? Many, many times. Mm. Because Cleveland to Toronto is about five hours. Yeah, it's not bad. And I drive up and then I did Maggie's Festival, but at Buddy's in Bad Times quite a few times. And oh, I love it. Yeah, I would go up and just kind of vacay. I love Toronto. Yeah, we love Buddy's. We love Maggie Casella, God knows. Um, are you yeah. a foodie when you travel? Do you like food? I love food. I can be a little particular, though. Okay. But I have eaten very good food there. My family's from the Caribbean, so yes. that's the other thing I like about Toronto. I can get Caribbean food there. Yeah, that's the nice thing about Toronto. It's so diverse. We have a big Caribbean, West Indies population and that's right. beautiful food. It is food. very diverse, yes. Okay. So, I mean, I love that. So, yeah, I mean, it's like my dad asked me once, he said, you know, you've been all over the world. If there's one place that you could go, you know, and money wasn't an object and all that. Where would you go? And without mm -hmm. missing a beat, I said, Toronto. And he said, really? Wow. You would go from Cleveland to another cold place. I said, hey, I got the cold down. <laughs> I got furs and nobody's going to throw paint on my fur. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's step off of Karen's furs. So maybe that's the perfect segue. How am I going to do this? Okay. So sometimes, Karen, uh, you try and be who you are and people throw paint on you. They try and sort of take your shine away. Um, and when we were younger and more defenseless, it was very easy for them to do that because we had young, impressionable minds. Uh, and that is, in fact, how we became queer people, Karen. <laughs> Did you know that if you wear uh, fur and it comes in contact with paint, the chemical reaction is enough to make your brain funky? This is a truth. <laughs> I didn't know that. This is a truth. I mean, right. I don't have a PhD. I'm not a doctor like you're about to be. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I found it. Anyway, so, so there are things. What I'm trying to say is there are things that were outside of our control and we couldn't yes. do anything about it. And now here we are. We're adults. We travel to cities just for a hot lunch. We do absolutely anything we want. We play pickleball. We eat jam. We leave <laughs> jam. And that's why I've invited you here today, Karen, lovely Thanks. Karen, to point the finger of blame once and for all. Karen Williams said, who and or what made you queer? Oh, my gosh. So many things. Um, <laughs> just my natural, in, you know, innate curiosity Oh, about just... Um, I had like the the most funny uh, dysfunctional family, okay. like many many people. Uh -huh. My parents are teenage parents, oh, so they had me when they were eighteen. Man. I'm the oldest of seven children, and um, by the time they were thirty, they had had the seven children. Wow! And um, you know, I want to write a book one day about. Everyone talks against teen parenting, but there are positives as well. Oh, yeah. What was your experience? One of the positives is that mm. they didn't know what they were doing. So <laughs> they let me have a lot of freedom. Okay. <laughs> and in those free spaces, I got a chance to find out who I am. Right. So you got to be a bit so, feral. You were emancipated from the jump. <laughs> from the jump. We <laughs> just were told, and because I'm a child of the 50s, uh -huh. we were told just go outside. Well, outside <laughs> is the whole world is out there. And I grew up in New York City in the Bronx. Yes. So when we went outside, we could be outside until, you know, the streetlights came on and all kinds of adventures. Oh my God, of course. So how, uh, when was your next sibling born? How many years apart? Um, we're stair steps. So the next one was a year. Okay. My two brothers are just 363 days apart. Your parents are busy. And then, yes. yeah, we're like stair steps. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I was telling a friend that I was 13 years old uh -huh. and my mother let me take my other five siblings to Rockefeller Center from the Bronx, um, you know. And you were, the sh you were the oldest one in that crew? The oldest, <sighs> right. So two subways and a bus with our ice skates around our necks. The youngest was three, okay. five, eight, and 11, 12, and 13, me. What on earth? And today you can't ask a 13-year-old to stay in the house for an hour while you go to the store. 100%. Much less be responsible for five other little human beings and their belongings 
on public transportation. No, no, a 13-year-old can't keep a smartphone charged for a day, <laughs> let alone lead five children through New York City. <laughs> this, But of course, this makes sense for you because you take charge. I take charge and they listened. And, you know, it was, New York City was just a big playground. Yeah, It was so much to see. I went to high school on the train. So I was very familiar with how to get around with train passes and bus passes. So I had so much freedom. Oh, my gosh. And that's, so, uh, and that's the trouble. Yes. Right. Because you were so <laughs> curious. So what are, take me back to one of those earliest memories of what's something you encountered that reads as queer to you now or something that felt like, oh, this is like a gateway into something else, another part of me. When I went to Bergdorf Goodman, mm -hmm. very high in New York store, after school one day, I was about 14, mm -hmm. and I went to the fur section. Oh, you, all these furs, Karen. And back in the day, the fur section was like a boudoir. They had chase lounges and <laughs> the, the, the old white lady with white hair mm -hmm. salespeople who were dressed to the nines. And when you came in, I said, I'd like to see some fur. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing all these different furs and I, I was already like five, eight. And you were like 14 years old. At 14, very okay. thin. And so I went in there and I said, it didn't matter then that I was a little brown girl. I told mm -hmm. myself, it's New York City. For all they know, I could be Sammy Davis Jr.'s daughter. You could have m as much money as you could ever want. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, a famous kid in New York because they were all over New York City. Right. And I would try on these first and these ladies were so gracious. And I remember trying on a chinchilla. <laughs> With the little face so on it? No, no faces, just okay. beautiful fur. <laughs> and years later, I actually worked part time during a Christmas break. I was in my early 40s and mm -hmm. uh, worked for this Weiss Furs in Cleveland and tried on a chinchilla coat <gasps> and was in a television commercial locally in this chinchilla. So you got your chinchilla finally. 30 years after I tried one on. Now, that's amazing. Now, take me back to this chaise lounge salon, because I'm guessing at the time you you couldn't buy any of these furs. Oh, no. OK. I, so I, I barely sometimes had the quarter to get to school on the subway. <laughs> I was jumping the turnstiles or move, going through with other people. You know, no. Yeah. I just was a big dreamer. What was your, I, which I love. So what was your dismount from that social situation of like, uh, get me this one, get me this one, sipping your, you know, a non-alcoholic champagne. And then how, <laughs> how would you excuse yourself? Oh, well, I think that people don't realize that the times were really different. Mm -hmm. The people had grace, people had charm, people had manners. They just treated, when I was through, they just said, oh, well, thank you. And, you know, come in again. <laughs> and then they probably got together and talked about me coming in there and trying on those furs. Right. But they never say it to your face. I mean, they didn't treat me like I was a thief. Yeah. They didn't treat me like I didn't belong there. It was just a different time altogether in terms of how people treated people, and especially in New York City, because yeah. New York had that reputation of just kind of being the center of the world. Mm -hmm. And you didn't, tourists were there, people lived there. You didn't know who had money, really, who didn't. Right. You know, so it, people were just treated very differently. Yeah, we're not, <laughs> we're going through a bit of a time right now. So that truly does sound like a fantasy. But I also love that too, just as sort of like an identity building experience where, I mean, trying, trying things on, like quite literally trying things on and just imagining who would I be if I had these furs or if I dressed like this or held my head in a certain way. And that's so fun. I just felt like I was always going to be a star. I was one of hmm. those kind of kids that just felt like, I mean, I have a pictures of me on my 10th birthday party with a tiara on and yes. crinolines. And I went outside with this tiara on my head at 10 <laughs> years old, walking around with my, this dress with my arms out with crinolines and all this stuff. I mean, but it was it was just fun. I It wasn't like I was trying to be someone else. Mm -hmm. My family went along with it. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't think it was odd. Yeah. So were you were you always kind of a ham in that way? 
I was painfully shy. Really? Yes. But like many, many actors are very shy people. But once they get into a costume or get into a role, then they can come out, you know, in that way. And so for me, costumes, later on, I modeled from about age 15 until in my 40s. So modeling really helped me with the whole costuming thing. Yeah. And I like then I could become like someone else. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay, so I want to go, we're going we're gonna to go ahead to that in a bit, but first I want to go back, because at 14, I feel like we might have already skipped. By 14, did you know that you were different? Did you, was oh, your attraction Oh, I knew when I was about five. Okay, take me to five. What happened? I knew when I was about five that I just really liked girls. Okay. And I don't know, I mean, I just knew. I can't even tell you how it expressed itself, because it wasn't sexual at five it was yeah it was just i had two brothers right under me they weren't as smart Mm -hmm. i knew that they did really dumb stuff (laughs) like what and oh run behind each other open up their butts fart in each other's faces (laughs) i mean stupid stupid stuff that boys do yeah yeah and you know i played with them and bathed with them till i was about 12. Uh uh-huh But then, you know, I started going through that shift and pulling away and school. I was going to all those intelligently gifted classes. I was a really smart kid. Smarty pants. Yeah. I skipped the third grade and the eighth grade. What? Yeah. Yeah. So I love school. That's why at 14, you had all this time to go to the first salons. You already had an undergrad. (laughs) I know. I I graduated at 16. Good for you. So, yeah, I just ended. My dad had uh, shops in New York. He had a little teeny tiny shop. What kind of shop? In Greenwich Village. Oh, beautiful. Import, export. So Mm -hmm. he was uh, importing things from India and Afghanistan and all these. He brought like uh, sheepskin coats to America, you know, just in the 60s. And, you know, I just had like this really fun, illustrious, strange, you know, crazy, smart childhood in New York City. And that's really my foundation. And I just had a lot of confidence, I think, from my parents, but also because I was going outside of where I lived and being around people that I wouldn't ordinarily have been around. Right. So you got really a whole grab bag of experiences and exposure. Yes, I did. And that was that all contingent on your good behavior? Like you've said, you sort of, you prided yourself on, you know, being an adult and a leader and things like that. But did you ever start getting into trouble? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was a good kid up until like 15 or so, you know. I The modeling years. By 15, it's the 60s, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't miss any of that. Okay. I so- was all <laughs> up in the whole 60s experience, you know. So why don't we go to that? How did you first, first, let's go here. Was there a first kind of crush or something when it kind of coalesced into, oh, like, I, you know, I like girls. Well, I went to the prom with mm-hmm. a girl. <gasps> you did? And you were 16? Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't a big deal. Judy uh, Friedman. Judy Friedman. Liked me and would give me gifts when I was 15. So I think I was more of a gift whore than a lesbian at that <laughs> That's point. That's right. You're like, listen, I'll kiss anyone. Just give me some <laughs> gifts. Yeah. <laughs> so she gave me gifts and my mother was like t- telling my dad at 15, you know, calling him in Greenwich Village because they had separated by that time. Mm-hmm. And he was in an apartment and I would go and see him and stuff. And he, she told him, I think Karen likes girls. Oh. And he was like, okay. I mean, they just did not trip about it at all. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I was watching um, a little thing by Big Frida. You know who she is? Of course. Like the Queen of Bounce. Yeah. And they were saying, well, how about her young age? And they were saying, well, how did you get so confident to be this person? Yeah. You know, like a drag queen of bounce. Yeah. And they said, "Um, my mom accepted me. So, and approved of me. So why did I need approval from anyone else? Oh my God. And I really identify with that. My parents loved me, accepted me. And so it enabled me later to be able to come out as this lesbian comic Mm -hmm. because I just never understood what the big deal is. 
You know, all these people preach love, the churches preach love, but you're gonna tell me that I'm not loved because I'm a lesbian? It just never made sense to me. And you couldn't make me feel shame about it. Oh my God. And I just didn't go through all of that. I just didn't. I loved girls and I, yeah. I didn't mean I didn't, you know, love men. I married a guy when I was in college. I had oh. my child. I have three sons. Mm-hmm. And so there was a period there where I was very comfortable with being bi mm-hmm. until I could really feel that I wanted to manifest myself as lesbian identified. Yeah. And a lot of that came around my career and really wanting to, you know, feel more empowered as a woman loving woman. Mm-hmm. Oh my, there's so much, well, like what a, what a beautiful soundbite there. And folks, if, you know, take note of this, if you just you know, respect and empower your children. Look what they can accomplish when you don't put them through, you know, decades of shame and all the stuff we kind of force upon younger generations instead of, you know, a lot of the time kids, kids know who they are. You just have to give them space to be who they are. So I think a lot of the discourse about trans folks and things were like, oh, it's too young. They're too young to know who they are. Like, no, kids are, kids are marching off to Rockefeller Center at eight. Like they're, they're fine. Good for, so good for you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about, I really don't speak about that because I really don't know about that as mm-hmm. a parent. I'm not, you know, I really f- feel like parents need to be empowered mm-hmm. in the ways that they feel they need to be in order re- to respond to their children. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't yeah. really know. I mean, surgeries, I'm, I can be very conflicted about. Okay. You know, at what age is that appropriate? I don't really know. And people being up in arms about it. But as far as being able to identify for yourself at a young age where you feel your life is moving, mm-hmm. I think people know that kind of early. I certainly I, did. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I love that. And I love that you had the courage and sort of the wherewithal to act on it and the freedom to act on it. Um, especially in a city like New York, like what an exciting, what a pivotal set of decades that you came up through. But it doesn't mean I could be out like I'm out now. Right. I couldn't be out. My dad, his second wife is a white woman. He mm-hmm. started seeing her, I guess, in the late 60s. And, you, you know, uh, that was a whole upheaval. I think I'm, a, you know, definitely I manifest traits of a child of divorce, as do my siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I saw in 1968 was that love had no bounds. Mm-hmm. And that's how I took it in. He moved from New York City to Santa Monica, where he still lives. I have a younger sister who's biracial mm-hmm. from that marriage. Um, she's 26 years younger than me, living a completely Gosh. different kind of a life growing up in Santa Monica. So it's just given me a broad view of love. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I felt comfortable uh, within myself loving someone of my own gender. Right, right. You know, um, and... Um, you knew love was a, a customizable property that uh, you could decide what that meant for you. For me, yeah. I didn't think that that got, I didn't think that had to be defined by someone else. And sometimes it was transactional where you get gifts. Yes. <laughs> you know, a mink stole every now and then. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't realize how big fur was in my life until I. <laughs> I mean, it really is a big theme with you. I didn't realize it until I told my my spouse recently. Mm. I said, oh, I remember laying a fur down on the floor and making love <gasps> on a on a fur. Oh, is it a bearskin rug? No, it was one of my <laughs> coats. <laughs> but what animal had it been? <laughs> I don't want to share too much. Okay, this is what listen. lesbians do. We ha- we do we overshare, as Kate Clinton says. Oh my God, I love that. I over. That's fine. You need to set a boundary. So Karen, <laughs> well, for the record, Karen will tell you she may love on fur <laughs> on the floor, but not what kind of animal, you perverts. <laughs> that is her private business. <laughs> it was a cheap fur. It was one of my cheap furs. It was a oh. rabbit. Oh, yeah. that sounds incredibly small. Was it a tiny coat <laughs> a, for little baby? It was a jacket. Okay. I was smaller back in the day. <laughs> okay. Big rabbit, small Karen, who knows? <laughs> <laughs>
You Made Me Queer. We'll be right back. And now back to more You Made Me Queer. So back to this prom, did the other kids say anything when you showed up with Judy? Was that her name? No. I mean, what it was in 1969 is that you were pathetic. No guy would ask Oh, you. okay. It had a different connotation. I don't think yeah. people thought anything of, you know. Yeah. You uh, of us going there together. We were just the sad girls. Right. It was like, you're not on a date together. You just couldn't get a date. We couldn't get a date. Right. And you were like, little do you know. You know, but we danced and we had the punch, you know, yes. and all that stuff. Was there a theme? Was it like, a, you know, um, in, uh, what would a good fur theme be for you? Like enchantment in Narnia? <laughs> <laughs> there was no, there was no fur. I don't even know what I wore. In those days, I was a big bell bottoms. Oh, yeah. Work shirt. Huge, my dad had all these gorgeous, huge hanging earrings from India. Oh, you know, wow. I always looked very hippie-ish, you know, that yeah. was my thing. And that's yeah. how, and you had just started modeling. So how did you get into modeling? Through my dad. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, he he worked with models and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, for, through his, uh, you know, um, showing his coats and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there were just lots of opportunities to do stuff, different stuff, uh -huh. you know, and I just went with it. It's very exciting. So did you get to be around some pretty girls at that age too? Like you must have just been dying. No, I wasn't really a heartthrobby kind of girl. I've always okay. been the kind that just appreciated, you know, beauty. I liked beautiful things. I liked beautiful surroundings. I'm still like that. And mm -hmm. I think that for me, like even where I grew up, even though I was in the quote unquote projects in the Bronx, my dad you know, we had window boxes and he painted the apartment and beautiful. There was art everywhere. I mean, hmm. we just lived nicely. Yeah. And so I kind of always came to expect that. And I yeah. lived like that myself. I love that. And you had like a, a, you said a curiosity, but your appetite was really like primed to experience the world. I like that. I've always been so excited about life. Like my dad had these Utrillo posters by the artist Utrillo and he mm -hmm. mounted them on some kind of board and had put lights behind them so that the posters were black back lit. I mean, it was okay. just an incredible thing. And then I found in a thrift store or something, little um, renditions of the same paintings that he had up. So they're in my hall on my wall. Oh, nice. Isn't that amazing? The continuity, you're a story yeah. builder. Yeah. So let's go because this is your, this is a special chance for you, Karen, to blame the things that made you queer. So we blamed curiosity, curiosity writ large. Yes. What else would you like to throw under the bus? Um, um, curiosity, uh, uh, intellectual curiosity. You have to say that too. I, Okay, perfect. Yeah. Perfect response from a PhD student. Yeah, intellectual because lesbians, I would say gay men have the money, we have the books. <laughs> I mean, I not not in this house. Listen, let me just tell you this, if if Lesbos is the home of Sappho and she was a poet, mm -hmm. then that's in our DNA. We are poets. Uh, maybe I'm a lesbian. We yes, we are writers. <laughs> We we love the romantic yes. novels. We we just love books. And I'm definitely a bibliophile that yes. much. So I would say what also made me queer is my love of books. Now, okay, so where did this start? Like, do you remember a first book that you loved or a, a library experience? Yes. Okay, take me there. I, I remembered both. The book I loved was Heidi. Oh, gosh. And I would fantasize about the Swiss Alps. I would say, oh, I got to see this. And and I have not been to the Swiss Alps yet, but I will <gasps> get there. The Swiss Alps and that she lived with her grandfather. And believe it or not, there was a time when a little girl could live with their grandfather without fear of molestation. Let's just okay. put it that okay. way. So at that age, I think Heidi might have been nine or something. Yeah. And she lived with her grandfather and nobody thought that was unusual. That's right. They were just hanging out <laughs> in the Swiss Alps. Maybe there were some goats. 
there were there were goats they were making cheese yes. there were hikes <sighs> she had fun with other little kids so that sounds so there great. Was that. And, and then... she also, I'll piggyback on that with, that was of a, an era, there were a lot of free-spirited girls with red hair sort of in the zeitgeist, yeah. like Pippi Longstocking. That's who we had. Um, Wendy, who <laughs> of like Wendy's, the fast food chain. A lot of like spunky <laughs> little redheads <laughs> with pigtails. That's right. Okay. Margaret on Dennis the Menace. I don't know if oh, you know that. Oh yeah, show. Margaret, of course. She had the curly curls, right? She had some big so, queer energy for sure. That was a big queer energy, always <laughs> beating up Dennis. <laughs> and then my mom says when I was 10, I wanted to be able to go to the library by myself on the bus. Yeah. And she let me and she was so nervous. But, you know, in New York, New York the buses come like this one. Yeah, right they're pretty after good. The other. So they're pretty good. So I took the bus. Um, from my little place where I live, Class and Point, to mm -hmm. Westchester Avenue, to the library. My mother got on the next bus. Oh, she shadowed you there. She shadowed me there. Oh, bless. And she said when I got there and she saw me get off the bus and wave to my friends and stand outside and talk to my friends and then go inside the library, then she went across the street and took the bus back. She just wanted to make sure you weren't going there to get up into some crazy business. Made sure I was okay. Oh, that is yeah, so that sweet. I was okay. It was, I only found out about this recently, like in the past few years. Right, so you didn't see her? No. Was she in like a big trench coat and a fedora maybe? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I wasn't looking for my mother, so I didn't see of her. Of course. So off into the library, yeah. and do you remember, like what were you, were you just there to get a nice leisure book? I was the only kid on Friday afternoons at three o'clock mm -hmm. standing on my corner, looking left and looking right for the bookmobile. I love that. I love the bookmobile. So the bookmobiles came every Friday at three o'clock and I was standing there. I was the kid that got 10 and 12 books. Yes. And by the time I brought them back the next week, I had read those books. Oh my God. I love that. I think it's such a, I mean, now it's different because with the internet, you have everything. We have Wikipedia and videos of anything you could imagine in a second. But when, even when I was growing up too, there, you know, you, your library only had so many books. So you just had to hound your way through those. And that was the way you imagined the world. Right. I just love books. And I especially still to this day, I love the rags to riches stories. Oh, yeah. And also books allowed me to fall in love with women. So Helen Keller, like I read that, you yes. know, the miracle worker. I read about, oh, my my hero, heroine, Shiro, <laughs> sure. is still Marie, uh, Madame Marie Curie. Oh, yeah. That she was a scientist because that's what I wanted to be, a scientist. I went to Bronx High School of Science. Wow. And I wanted to be a scientist. She was the one who discovered plutonium. Is that right? Or ra radiation? Radium. 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 So, plutonium. So I went and got x-rays like months ago, right? And I yeah. walk in and I say, the woman goes, oh, we're going to take x-rays. And I said, wow, we really need to thank Marie Curie for that. She just looked at me like, <laughs> like they, people don't even know about x-rays and radium right. and why we have it and all that other kind of stuff. I love that. Speaking of a curious woman, Marie Curie was so curious, but that ended up poisoning her, right? She passed away from radium poisoning. Yeah, well, yeah, radiation. Both of them had radiation poisoning. Yeah. I mean, well, but I mean, but what a discovery. I know. Yeah. And he totally supported her. <laughs> like he knew she was smarter than him. Mm -hmm. She was, he was well off. So he had to almost beg her to marry him because she was so devoted to science and they worked together and made yes. these discoveries and he ended up dying and she still went on with her work. And it's really just amazing to me that some of the things I loved, I loved reading about Mary uh, McLeod Bethune. Oh, I don't know who that is. Um, these are civil rights activists, women. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer. And uh -huh. I just loved reading about the things that women were able to do, what they were able to overcome, you know, and it just inspired me. Yeah, yeah. Because you had, like you said, you had big visions, grand visions for yourself. And so yes, these women who just like under really difficult circumstances just made it happen. 
of course you were like, well, why can't I do it too? Well, don't the, the hard part was actually coming out as a lesbian in my 20s yeah. and realizing that the literature that we were stuck with was like well of loneliness. <laughs> yeah. The lesbians had to fight the whole book not to throw themselves into the well, you know. Yeah, that's the dark side of poetry, right? When you feel your feelings too big. Right. Yeah, you got to harness it. I mean, we were just, you know, all the pulp fiction kind of books and, Mm -hmm. you know, things where the lesbians did not have happy ending. 100%. I get that. Yeah. Like you were like bad girls with a a cigarette hanging out of your mouth and a little ascot maybe, or um, just like just a little ethereal moping waif who ends up yes. face down in yes. a pond. Or, you know. Yeah, and you wanted a third choice. <laughs> yes, I wanted many more choices. And yeah. it's really interesting because of the LGBTQICA plus movement, yeah. more and more is revealed to all of us about mm-hmm. what our lives were like back then. Like I love seeing pictures of black and brown women in particular Mm -hmm. that are being unearthed and really shared because there was a time when I think that people thought that black and brown women were not lesbian. Right, right. You know, that it was a white woman's movement. And, you know, when I went to college, white women made us gay, you know, it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And it was that lack of we'll call it lack of imagination that to imagine that people could have intersectionality and not just be like yes. you were a lesbian or you were black and brown. But you couldn't be that's both because right. that's too that's too right. many boxes checked. Too many things. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I like that. Those are those are the things that I like about modern life is yeah. that when you say more w- will be revealed and it is. Isn't that great? And like, you know, I'm all for a lot of these folks who want, you know, with the acronym and finding the term that makes most sense for them. Absolutely go for it. And it's also nice, too, that we sometimes have less pressure to define ourselves. Like one reason why I love the word queer is it's a little confusing. I get to decide what queer means. Yeah, my CD from 1994 that still is out there and I get royalty (laughs) checks. Yes. It's called Human Beings. What a concept. (laughs) And that's why, like one day we'll just be human beings. Won't that be fantastic? And we'll need all those acronyms and all of that. That's right. If we survive the next 365 days and don't burn the world down, Karen, it's uh, quite a time to be alive. So listen, what a what a blast you have taken us through, through New York City, through many, many fur references, through a very sexy prom, all of these things, a, a modeling career, which we only scratched the surface of. Um, so, you know, I could talk to you all day. But I won't yeah. because, you okay. you know, you got some pickleball to spy on. But <laughs> b- before I let you go, Karen, would you like to play a game? Sure. Okay, great. There was really only one answer there. This game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Queerer, Queerist. Okay. So I'm going to give you three things. Your job is to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yes. Okay, thing number one. Those big white unisex baptismal dresses they put little kids in to baptize them. Oh, okay. Can you picture those? Yes. Love this. And by the way, for podcast listening folks, I saw, I see Karen slightly arched over her desk. I think she's taking notes. Which, I am taking notes. Oh my God, I love this. I have What a PhD student, what an academic. Okay, thing number two. <laughs> yeah. And I might have to send you this link unless you can picture okay. it. Halle Berry in the Flintstones live action movie. Did you see that movie? No, but I can imagine. So this movie, we of course know the Flintstones cartoon. This was made into a live action film in the 90s. Yeah. Okay, well, Halle Berry, you know Halle Berry. Yes. Well, I'll just describe it to you. Okay, yeah. It's Halle Berry in kind of a tiger, here we go, some fur, a tiger fur bra top holding an animatronic, uh, what looks like maybe like a pterodactyl. Yes. And she's got, you know, her little pixie cut, her earrings are like um, mollusk shells. Oh, I'm looking at pictures. I'm looking at pictures of her. Okay. Okay. You you found her in the Flintstones? I see it. Oh my gosh, she looks gorgeous. I know, she's always gorgeous. This is okay. this is quite a look for her. Okay, so that. And thing number three, 
And this is a deep cut just for you. Homemade jam. Homemade jam. Okay. Yeah. Homemade jam is queer. Okay, that's the least queer. That's just queer. Queer, right. Okay, just the least it. queer. And why? Tell me why. Um, because she gave it to her a table full of queers. <laughs> okay. But it's not super queer, but gave it to a table full of queers. Okay. No, it's not super queer, but she Do you think she was hitting on you? She no, I think that she felt the queer vibe and it and it made her tingle. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> women tingle in their special spots and they don't know why. They don't know why. So that's when you give jam because jam says everything. But, so that's why she gives us jam. There's okay. symbolism there. So that's, that's right. a little queer. That was queer. Okay. <laughs> then the white baptismal dress is queerer. Okay. Because um, it hides actually what's in there. Oh, so you yeah. don't know then if it's a boy, if it's a girl, if it's a football, if it's a, <laughs> you know, minstrel pad, you don't know what's yeah. in there. So yeah. that's kind of queerer, you know, and the baby's just loose in there. So totally. it can feel itself. It's queerer. You're right. It can grow to any shape. There's no, nothing's tight about yeah, that. There's okay. no shape to it. There's no form. They can Gorgeous. feel themselves. Yes. And, you know, and it's white, so it's not like blue for boy, pink for girl. You're right. You can dye it any color you want. Okay. That's right. That's right. And then Halle Berry is the queerest because I would do her in that outfit. In Okay. And above others, like, is that open? Speaking of lady parts tingling, is that setting you off? Well, I also have, uh, with Olivia, we did a Flintstone skit. And when this is over, <laughs> I will send you a picture of me in a similar dress Please. with a bone in my hair. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, uh, I don't quite look as sexy as Halle Berry. You'll laugh when you get my picture. I'm sure you look amazing. And I will say for all the anti-fur folks, just take note, Karen uses all parts of the animal in her outfit. Fur, bones, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's queerest. Gorgeous answers. So let me just check uh, your marks to adhere to an academic standard. Uh, one, two, three, check, check, check. Congratulations, Karen. 4.0 A+. You are, in fact, a queer person. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I was scared there for a minute. You know, when you've been queer as long as I have, I know. sometimes you're not so sure you need to do a check-in. So I'm glad we did that game. Well, Thank and you. if there was my pleasure, if the results came in differently, you'd have a lot of uh, life changes to make. So I'm glad you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Gorgeous. And I want to thank you too, Karen, because when we started this conversation, I was a very queer person. And talking to you, Karen, has made me queerer than ever. <laughs> well, I am still the queeress. Yes, yes. I'll be queerer. I'm not going to fight you for that crown. <laughs> thank you so much. And before I let you go, anything you want to... Thank you so much. What, what, would you, what would you like to plug, Karen? I'd like to thank uh, Canada, Little Pigton, oh. whatever that was. Okay, Did you yeah. see that I was on the cover? Of the cover of what? Of the Picton. Oh, let me look at it very quick. I have to send you a couple of things now. So for folks who don't know, Karen was just one of the big headliners at the We're Funny This Way Festival in beautiful Picton, Ontario, right. which I was in the audience for. And I got to be on the cover of, let me see if I can find the paper. Of, of like the Picton Gazette or something? The Picton Gazette. Bless. Yes. There you go. And what? And it's just you looking fabulous, yes. bone in your hair? No, no bone no, in my hair, no but bone. my new okay. glasses. Okay. So I look pretty sharp. Yes. So I will send you the, the picture of the Picton Gazette and me and my Flintstones outfit. Okay. So that's all a pass plug. Anything we can watch out for in the future? Maybe just you walking up to that PhD dais? In the future, I am doing with Mimi Gonzalez, we are doing yes. what we are calling the Brown and Tan uh, Enlightened <laughs> Laughter Tour coming to your city soon. Oh, my God. Brown and Tan. So check out for that. You know that's going to be amazing. Please get out of here. Uh, so thank you so much, Karen. You're welcome. This was a pure joy for me. Thank you. Okay. See you soon. You bye take bye. care. See you. Bye bye. That is our 50th episode of You Made Me Queer. All 50 episodes. Go back to the beginning, listen through them all, 
uh, first taken aspirin. As always, you can reach me at youmademequeer at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. Please write in. Please write in. Now is the time. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Again, it's really important for reasons I've explained before. Uh, and that's it. So, you know, bless you and your sweet little converse. Cue credits. You Made Me Queers, created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our editor is Sean Van Beaton. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of her music, check out lavenderbruises.bankhep.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you so much for listening to 50 damn episodes. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.